Good morning and welcome to our morning service. Good to have you here with us this morning. Great to be able to gather to worship the, the Lord together. The scripture is found in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, just at the end of chapter 3, verse 17, and uh, to the end of, uh, of chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 3, and verse, uh, verse 17. He speaks in the passage about seeing the glory of the Lord. And uh, the first part of chapter 3 uh, underlines the, the context of that. Uh, it's from Exodus 34. Remember when Moses had gone up in the mountain, come down in his face, was, uh, was shining and, and had to be veiled. Uh, and so the, uh, the lesson that Paul draws from that is, is that, well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, that we are unable to behold the glory of the Lord outside of Jesus Christ, but also that that glory, even though it was not like the glory in Christ, it was so brilliant that we couldn't look at it, how much more the glory that is in the Lord Jesus. And the rest then uh, into chapter 4 deals with the implications of seeing the glory of God in, uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, that's the overall uh, setting of the text. Uh, but I'm going to pick it up at the end of chapter 3. Uh, I'll start reading in verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty but we all with open face beholding in as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body of the, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We, having the same spirit of faith, According as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. 
for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. May the Lord help us to understand this glorious text of the word of God. Let's bow together and pray. Holy Father, we are indeed grateful for the God who is able to make light shine out of darkness. We thank you, Lord God, for the astonishing grace that sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, that he might be indeed the light of the world. Thank you, Holy Father, that he shines forth. In him is life, and the life was the light of men. Thank you, Lord God, that the one who comes to Jesus and believes on him shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What astonishing grace is ours through the coming of the Lord Jesus. And then, Lord God, the manifestation of your glory. We behold his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We see in the face of Jesus Christ the glory of God. And then we thank you, Lord God, that by that glory, by that grace, we are transformed from glory to glory. And it means, Lord God, that for us who believe in the Lord Jesus, there is nothing but glory lying ahead. O oh, Holy Father, help us to value that. Help us to see its eternal weight and not to be distracted by things that are temporary. Lord our God, help us to look to Jesus. Help us to understand the glory of this gospel. Help us, Lord God, to rejoice in knowing and loving you. Father, we pray that you would continue to be with this church. We know, Lord God, that there are many needs, many physical needs, sometimes economic family needs, Sometimes we are suffering in many ways for the gospel. We pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen each one of us. Build us up, Lord God, that we might look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray, Lord God, that when we feel lost and without purpose, perhaps aimless in life, may we understand what it is to walk with you. May we grasp how your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray, Holy Father, that we might know you more. May we long to know you more. Holy Father, you know the challenge that we have with our hearts. We pray that you would create in us a clean heart. We pray, Lord God, that you would indeed transform us from the inside out. Help us, Lord God, to present our lives a living sacrifice for God. Help us to be conformed transformed by the renewing of your mind. O oh Lord, our God, help us. Help us to think clearly through your word and help us to see more of Jesus. May our faith not fail when we come into trial, but may we find ourselves strengthened by the glory of the Lord. 
Help us, Holy Father, as we worship together this day. May everything that is said and done bring glory to your name. We do thank you, Father, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Again, Pastor Brad, it's great to have you with us. Lord bless as you open the word to us. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the offer, uh, the invitation, and uh, pray the Lord's uh, blessing upon us. Uh, just uh, um, to save time after the service, I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, things are, are stable, not, uh, not particularly better, but not particularly worse. Uh, and at this stage of things, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, we're, uh, we're happy for that. Uh, the other thing I did want to mention is that our, uh, our uh, church in, uh, in Orillia uh, regularly prays for this church and uh, uh, the, the need of, particularly for a pastor, but, uh, uh, but every week you're on the list at our, uh, our prayer meeting. Uh, and so uh, know that, uh, well, we are standing with you before the Lord in, uh, in that as well. All right, let's come to the Lord and pray as we look into his word. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to come and to look into your word. We pray that you would use it in our lives to make us what we ought to be. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to understand more of your plan for us. We are invited to come to you and make our requests known. We certainly are called to seek your face in every time of need. But we also need to recognize, Lord God, that you have a plan for us. And we pray, Holy Father, that you would help us to understand it, but even more to desire it, to long for it, so that our lives would be all that we were made to be in fellowship with our God. So help us as we look into your word this day. May it truly encourage our hearts and help us along the way. For Jesus' name's sake, I, I was asked at the beginning of this month to creating uh, a closer walk with God. Now, uh, the metaphor is used frequently in Scripture, not the exact phrase walking with God, but the metaphor of walking uh, is certainly a, a common one in Scripture, and it's certainly be a, been a subject in many messages that I've given over the years. But I found the exercise of thinking explicitly about walking with God to be profitable for me, uh, and so I, I thought perhaps uh, it might be worthwhile for you as well. Uh, and so that's where uh, this is coming from. Uh, at some point, the, uh, the papers that are presented at the Pastors' Fellowship are put online. Uh, I kind of looked quickly last night and couldn't find it, but um, if you are interested in the actual paper and uh, a little more detail, uh, you can look that up sometime. Uh, perhaps it will, uh, will show up. But... When we speak about cultivating a closer walk with God, now that's an interesting expression, isn't it? It's not mine. That was the, the topic assigned to me. But when we think about a topic like that, we're assuming three things. The first thing we're assuming is that such a walk is possible. The second thing we're assuming is that a closer walk is desirable. And the third thing that we're assuming is that I have some responsibility or role in connection with cultivating that closer walk. 
those three things together uh, give the, the title meaning. Now, our task this morning is partly definition and partly motivation. Uh, and then, Lord willing, if you're able to join us again tonight, I'm going to come back to the theme. Uh, but instead of asking the question, why, we'll ask the question, how? And, and think a little bit more of the actual process of, of cultivating this walk, uh, Lord willing, tonight. Uh, but for reasons that I hope will become clear as we go ahead, the question why is vitally important uh, in order to actually uh, experience this. So I want to start with the definition idea a little bit, and I want to take you back uh, to, I think, the first uh, occurrence of the expression uh, in Scripture, and a man named Enoch. We're introduced to Enoch in Genesis 5, verses 21 through 24. It's a short reference, and it says Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch is the one man in a chapter-long list of men of whom it is not said, and he died. Genesis 5 is an outline of the problem that is caused by sin. The day you eat thereof you would die had been what God had said in Genesis 2, and, and here, in fact, it proves true. Uh, each case, they lived X number of years, and to us, they seem like very long lives. Uh, they, they are much longer than any of us know, but they all end the same way. And he died, except Enoch. The thing about Enoch, of course, is that uh, it doesn't really define at this point what that means, that he walked with God. Uh, but clearly, we're talking about a unique relationship with uh, the Lord. Now, I, I find that interesting because when I introduce the title, like I did this morning, uh, A Closer Walk with God, uh, what went through your mind? Did it sound foreign? Did it sound like I was speaking to you in Egyptian hieroglyphics? Uh, that it's not something that we comprehend. Uh, it is not common for us to speak in terms of knowing God, uh, of walking with God. There, there are those in our time will speak of, of religion in terms of whether or not it's helpful. Every once in a while, you'll come across one of these articles. Uh, people who believe in some religion live longer. Uh, and so religion has a, a useful purpose. Or other people, perhaps of a more intellectual bent, will realize that a creation as, uh, as complex as ours needs a first cause. Uh, you, you need to speak of perhaps a higher power, or some will speak of uh, an intelligent designer or, or something like that. But walking with God, that's on another level entirely. Uh, that's... You know, clearly, this is not just about whether it helps me live a few years longer. This is about a different kind of relationship than we normally think about. Uh, a further clue to what is meant by this is found in Hebrews 11, which happens to refer back to that text I just read in Genesis 5. And, and it's interesting because, uh, according to the commentators, the, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was made a few decades before Christ when it translated Genesis 5, instead of using the phrase Enoch 
walked with God, it used the phrase Enoch pleased God. And interestingly, Hebrews 11 picks up on that reading. Listen to what we hear about Enoch in Hebrews 11 verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we're getting some content here, aren't we? What does it mean to walk with God? Well, it has something to do with pleasing God. It has something to do with what God wants. It has something to do with believing God uh, and, and uh, being one who diligently seeks him. So these expressions are all helping us flesh out a little bit uh, what we mean by, by walking with God. Here's uh, another set of clues. In Genesis 6, we read about a man named Noah. Uh, you may have heard of Enoch. I'm almost certain you've heard of Noah. Uh, what do we read about Noah? Well, interestingly, in verse 9, we read, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. So here we have that, that same expression uh, again, uh, but... In what setting does he make that statement? Let me back up again and start reading at Genesis 6, verse 5. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. So what does it mean to walk with God? How does that text help us? It's clearly given here in contrast to the horrifying description of the human race in and of itself. Walking with God is the opposite of having God regret that he made us. Walking with God is a matter of walking like God, just and perfect. Walking with God is the opposite of the condemnation that is due to sin. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Everything is a mess. Everything is, is horrifying. Uh, it's a disaster. It's nothing like what God intended it to be. And then there's Noah. And Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. So walking with God clearly has something to say about our relationship with God. In its character, it has something to do with pleasing God, being blameless, finding grace in his sight, the kind of relationship that is, in fact, our created purpose, and thus, the only ultimately satisfying life that there is, because it's what we were made to do. We were made to walk with God. Remember our assumptions? To talk about this theme is to assume that such a walk is possible, and that such a walk is desirable. 
we've dealt especially now with that desirable part. At least one reason why it's desirable is it's what we're made for. And uh, it is what stands in front of us. But the question of it being possible also springs to mind. After all, Noah is just and perfect and walking with God and blameless. Who of us qualifies? If that's what's needed to walk with God, we're in trouble. So it may be desirable, but go back to our other assumption. Is it possible? Is it possible for people like us to walk with God? I want you to look at another man in Genesis that you've probably heard of, a man by the name of Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis 17, he's called Abram at this point. His name is changed in the course uh, of the verses that follow. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face. God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall, here's his name changed, neither shall thy name any more be called Abram. Thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, many thanks to Kirk for laying the foundation in the adult class concerning uh, Abraham and, uh, and the, uh, the covenant promise. But here you have it. Uh, why is it possible for a person to walk with God? It is possible to walk with God because God makes it possible. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And the covenant with Abraham, a couple of keys uh, to it. It's mentioned a number of times in these chapters in Genesis. But two key phrases I want you to keep in mind. In this text, it's the father of many nations. You go back to Genesis 12. In you shall all families of the earth be blessed. A universal blessing, which comes up uh, in, uh, in the New Testament, of course, uh, quite frequently. The other phrase that was mentioned in Sunday school this morning, I will be your God. Why can I, with all of my sinfulness, with all of my imperfection, how can I walk with God? It's because God said, I will be your God. It's because the initiative is with God. It's, that's what I mean by the phrase, a covenantal provision to walk with God. There's a promise here. But as we move through the Old Testament, the promise seems to become more and more doubtful for the reasons, again, mentioned in the adult class. They didn't keep the covenant. They, they, they weren't obedient to it. And, and so things became more and more muddled until you get to the days of a prophet like Micah. 
The prophet Micah, who's one of the 12 that, that conclude the Old Testament, was a contemporary of Isaiah. So we're approximately 700 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus. Uh, things are a mess. As you read through, uh, through Micah, the people are tired of God. Can you believe that? Uh, if I had said God was tired of the people, you'd all nod in agreement, yes. But in Micah, the people are tired of God. You have that at the beginning of Micah 6, verse 3. O my people, what have I done unto thee? Wherein have I wearied thee? Why are you so tired of me? And then the people had gotten to the point where the talk of redemption in the days of Moses, that was all like ancient history. What does that have to do with us anymore? And the service of God seemed to be just an endless stream of sacrifices, an endless stream of, of bloody animals and, and nothing more than that. And the people were just fed up with it. Where's all the blessings? None of the kings, or very few of the kings, were godly at all. Remember in Isaiah, he, he talks about King Ahaz, and uh, he was a horrifying king, and, and several others like him. And the, the people are, are, are tired, and they're worn out. And so God sends his prophet. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give the, my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? They're going through all of these things, trying to get some kind of favor from God. And they're wasting their time and they've missed the point. What does the prophet say? He has showed you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You've got it all wrong. You've got the rituals, but you've forgotten the reasons for the rituals. It is God who makes this possible. This is what God wants. And, and Micah goes on to explain to us that the only hope that they have that the promise of the covenant will ever come to pass is found in the shepherd king who's going to come out of Bethlehem. Do you remember that from Matthew 2? Uh, oh, Bethlehem, uh, the least among the princes of Judah, out of you shall come the one who will be prince of Judah. He will shepherd my people. The shepherd king is going to come. And, and the reason there is hope at the end of Micah's prophecy is because God delights in mercy. God, again, stands behind this covenant. Your sin is going to be cast into the depths of the sea. Hebrews chapter 8, of course, is quoting Jeremiah 31, but to the same effect. What's the grounds of the new covenant promise in, in Hebrews 8, quoting Genesis 31? Your sins are forgiven. Your iniquities are no longer remembered. Your sins, in Micah's terms, are cast into the depths of the sea. In other words, they're not coming back. They're, they're dealt with through this servant king. What God has sworn to the fathers comes to pass. As bad as things are in Micah's day, the promise has not failed and cannot fail because God stands behind it. And therefore, it is possible for a sinner like me to walk with God. When God takes the initiative to see this purpose through, even though broken by sin, it will be fulfilled. And of course, we await the New Testament, the New Covenant, to understand how that happens. So that brings us to Colossians chapter 1. 
Good thing we reviewed the books of the Bible in Sunday school as well, isn't it? Uh, So you know where all of these things are are found. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. We please God how? How do we come into this relationship where we can walk with God? Look at how Colossians 1 refers to this. As we think about the gospel of Christ, Paul says, I heard about your faith in Christ Jesus, the love which you have for all saints. This is Colossians 1 verse 4, now verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and brings forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. You see the emphasis? The gospel, the good news, the grace of God. And and that brings you into a relationship where you are pleasing to God and bearing fruit. His prayer in verse 9. What do we pray for? That you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Look at verse 10 especially. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, the new covenant promise, they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. What's Paul praying for? That they would know God, that we would walk worthy of God, that we would be pleasing to God. We would bear fruit for God. We would be strengthened by God. And why is this a firm foundation? What enables this to stand? Well, it's because, as he goes on to explain in the rest of Colossians 1, the Lord Jesus Christ is none other than God come in the flesh. The fullness of God dwells in him. He is a preeminence in everything, and it's in him that we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. There it is again. You see how all of these same terms keep circling back. Maybe the phrase walk with God isn't all that common in the the scriptures. I've read most of them to you already, that precise phrase. But the whole idea of walking worthy of God, uh, walking before the Lord, uh, walking through the strength of the Spirit, all of these things are, are coming back around to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whatever this relationship is, it does not exist without believing God. Diligently seek him and you find him. Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every uh, good work, because Christ is able to deliver sinners, redeeming them by his blood. So Micah led us to expect that the promise was not going to fail because of the shepherd king who was going to come. Colossians 1 is fleshing that out. The Lord Jesus Christ has come. And through the Lord Jesus Christ, we know God. We are brought near to God. In a practical sense, what does this mean? Well, to cultivate a closer walk with God is to become more like God, to grow in grace, to bear the fruit that pleases him. When I was preparing this message, I asked a lady in my church who loves books. Uh, Every church should have a lady in it who loves books. It's tremendously helpful uh, and filled most of my library, in fact. But nonetheless, besides that, uh, she went and and rooted around in her library and came back with a couple of books uh, by a couple of Puritans, one named Richard Baxter, 
probably not heard of him, but he wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor, so if you went to seminary, you heard of him. Uh, the other one is Jeremiah Burroughs. He wrote a book called The, the Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, uh, which we actually studied here once in a, a book study I don't know, 15 years ago, probably. Uh, but uh, uh, Jer Jeremiah Burroughs and Richard Baxter both have books on this theme of walking with God. Uh, Jeremiah Burroughs' book was Rules for Walking with God, I think. Uh, and I think uh, Richard Baxter was just Walking with God. I can't remember the, uh, any further title. Jerry Bridges, much more recently, uh, also wrote uh, a book called Growing Your Faith, where he deals with Enoch. And Jerry Bridges referred to Enoch as my hero and role model because he shows a close personal communion with God, fellowship with God. Richard Baxter used the phrase, the general duty of practical godliness, living in a way that pleases God, uh, the working out of our faith. In other words, the phrase walk with God covers just about everything in the Bible, right? Uh, that's what it means to walk with God. It means apply this, learn from it, walk in the ways uh, of the Lord as revealed in his word. Uh, everything that's entailed in our growth and our productivity bearing fruit is part of this walk. Uh, Ephesians uses the term walk, I think eight times, uh, sometimes negatively, don't walk like you used to, but usually positively. Walk worthy of the Lord, like Paul wrote to the Colossians also. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk circumspectly. In other words, watch where you're going when you're, you're walking. Uh, these kinds of, of expressions that encompass the Christian life, what it means to live for the Lord. So I, I told you we had two tasks this morning, uh, partly definition, and uh, mostly that's what we've done so far. But the other task was motivation. Uh, and, and so is there, in what we've said so far, is there any flicker of longing in your heart? Have I said anything yet, and you've thought, I wouldn't mind a piece of that? That's what I mean by motivation. Well, how do we make any progress towards the goal? Start by assessing the challenge here. Why do I have to talk about motivation? Why is this uh, an issue at all? It's not an empty question because most of us, if we really want something, find a way to make it happen. In other words, the how-to is not nearly as important as the want to. Do I want to walk with God? If I can deal with that, the how-to will fall into place. We'll talk about it tonight anyway, uh, since I'm here, but uh, the, the how-to more or less falls into to place. So what about the motivation? What about the desire of this? Uh, I, I wonder if this is sometimes why people find that Christianity falls short. In some kind of circumstance or need, they, they turn to uh, the Bible, turn to Christianity. They had a pressing problem. Uh, maybe it was need for some comfort in hard times. Maybe they felt uh, aimless and, and needed some direction. Uh, and, and Christianity is good for that. I mean, that's, it explains our, our purpose and so on. But sometimes we miss the point. What is the core purpose of 
God in the gospel. And the core purpose of God in the gospel is that we would walk with God. In other words, I want God's help in my circumstance. That's not the same thing as saying, I want God. There's Somebody wrote a, a, a song to this effect, and I can only remember one line. I can't remember if that's the title or not. But the, the one line that sticks in my mind is, once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. That's kind of what I'm getting at. We may start our interest in the Christian faith because I need some blessing from God. And God is good. Uh, He hears our, our cries. But that's not the ultimate goal. Because my ultimate need is not for that immediate blessing. My ultimate need is for God. I was made to walk with God. That needs to be my longing. My core purpose needs to match God's core purpose. In my notes, I said you might recall a series I did on Deuteronomy 6 through 11 at prayer meeting. That's ridiculous, right? (laughs) You have no idea what I'm talking about. But we did do a series on uh, Deuteronomy 6 through 11. It's a uh, I, I find it a, a, a particularly important section of Scripture. Uh, um, it, it gets to the, the core purpose of, of God that we're talking about. Uh, Moses' concern, remember Moses is about to die. Deuteronomy is his last message. Uh, and so he's about to die. Joshua is going to take the people and they're going to go into the land. And so these are Moses' last words. And what's he concerned about? Uh, really what he's concerned about is their forgetfulness. Forgetfulness, not in the sense of standing in the aisle at the grocery store and wondering why you're there, but forgetfulness in the sense that I don't really care to think about this anymore. Like Micah was talking about, kind of pushing the things of the Lord aside. When it comes to walking with God, Moses' perspective is that they had everything they needed. Look through all the privileges. In chapter 4, he says, you know, what nation has God so close that you could hear him talk? And yet when we were at at Mount Sinai, we heard the voice of God. What a privilege. I mean, they were scared stiff, but what a privilege to have the voice of God in your ears. And, And they had the sacrificial system that was all designed to deal with their sin. They had everything. They had Moses. They, they had revelation. They had scripture. They had all of these provisions. But there's one thing Moses was afraid they didn't have. What they didn't have was a wholehearted love for the Lord. They didn't love God with all their heart. That, in fact, becomes the central commandment in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He mentions it both in chapter 6 at the beginning of that section and in chapter 11 at the end of the section. It brackets the whole thing. This wholehearted love for God is what is needed. Listen to how he phrases it in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command thee this day for your good. 
That's what God wants. Did that sound a little bit like Micah to you? What does the Lord require of you? (laughs) What is it that is the core purpose of God's act of redemption in Christ? That you would fear the Lord, walk in his ways, love him with all your heart, and serve him with everything you've got. Obeying him because his ways are perfect and it's good. It's what you're made for. It's exactly the purpose of God. That's the challenge. One of the pastors at the Pastors Fellowship, when I presented this a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was now, he asked, how do we encourage that in our people? In other words, how do we cultivate this walk in our, uh, our ministry? How can we encourage people to love God? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it's the Spirit who convinces us of our adoption. Remember Romans 8? His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, causing us to cry out, Abba, Father. So, of course, this comes from God. But again, what is the role of preaching? What is the role of our services? What are we aiming at when we gather together? I mean, there's a lot of things we're aiming at, and that's right and proper. The Bible covers a lot of ground. But underlying all of that is this understanding God, knowing the Lord. To know, again, this is borrowed from uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, to know not only that God in Christ is no longer my enemy, but also to grasp the delight of knowing God as my friend. Think about what he's saying there. It's one thing for us to know that God is not my enemy. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. This is good. This is good news. This is the gospel. But do you also know that he is your friend? Do you recognize that he longs for us to walk with him? That's why I I had uh, Rael read from Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse 4. Uh, If you haven't pinned this up somewhere in your your house, my recommendation, uh, this is a a good one. Find a tube of lipstick, write it on the bathroom mirror or something. Uh, but, But listen to what David says. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To behold the beauty of the Lord. How do I see the beauty of this God? How do I come to adore him as my God? Not just escape death and judgment and hell because of him, but to adore him. Isn't that the goal? To know the Lord, to adore who he is. Think of the attributes of God. We already looked at Micah 7 where he says, God delights in mercy. Learn to delight in mercy as much as God does. Magnify God for the way that he longs to save sinners. What an astonishing thing. I I, I read from 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 in our, our scripture reading. Jerry Bridges particularly develops that chapter. Where Where do we see the glory of God? The glory of God being the sum total of his attributes, everything you can say about God, all of the the, the great things, all of the magnificent, transcendent realities about God. Where do I see that? 
in the face of Jesus Christ. Learn the attributes of God by learning of the Lord Jesus. How do I see the love of God? God demonstrated his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On the cross, we just came through Good Friday and Easter. On the cross, you saw many things, but did you see the love of God? That was being spread out like a banner in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember how Romans 8 applies that? If God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Adore him. Love the Lord with all your heart. This is astounding, the way that he responds to enemies, the way he receives rebels, the way he pardons those guilty of treason. Be transformed by your staring at the glory of God. What do you think of when you think of the book of Leviticus? Again, adult Sunday school class, right? Talking about the rituals, the sacrifices. And, and, and you look at, you know, you're doing your Bible through the year reading program. And, uh, and, and you're good with Genesis. That, that's good. And Exodus can be pretty exciting. Get near the end. Maybe there's a little technicality there. But then you get to Leviticus and seven chapters of sacrifices. And then all of these rules and, and rituals and, wow, food laws, clothing laws, you know, get rid of your cotton polyester laws, all of these things that you come across. And, and you begin to wonder, what's the point of all of this? And, and, and you, you begin to skim a little, miss a few points. But Leviticus has a handful of purpose statements. What's it about? It's about knowing what it is to be holy because the Lord your God is holy. It's about knowing that my sin must be covered. Leviticus 16, make atonement for your souls. It's about a way in which I can come into the presence of God. Horribly restricted in the Old Testament, but still they could come. Still there was grace, still there was access. But then listen to this statement from Leviticus 26. Listen to what he says, verses 11 through 13. This is God speaking. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. That sounds like an odd statement, but understand from it that normally God would abhor us. God abhors sin. Normally, we have no standing before God. But what's God saying here? I'm going to pitch my tent in the midst of your camp, and I won't abhor you. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their bondmen. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. What's Leviticus about? God wanting to dwell in the midst of his people. Not 
our begging that God would dwell with us. Frankly, on our own, we never want that. But God wanting it. God looking at the likes of us and wanting to be in our midst. How do we know that's true? Have you heard about Bethlehem? God manifest in the flesh. He was here. Remember 1 John? He was here. We saw him. We touched him. We handled him. The word of life. We heard him. He was right here. God longing to dwell in the midst of his people. I probably told you before when I was uh, young uh, at our, our church in Kapiskasing that the, the pastor had wanted us to think much about the, the sovereign glory of God and the power of God. And so the first part of Zephaniah 3.17 was put up behind the, uh, the, the pulpit and at the front of the church. And glorious words, the Lord your God in your midst is mighty. At some point, I read the rest of the verse. I mean, that statement was spectacular and, and excellent to remember. Do you know what the rest of the verse says? He will rejoice over you with singing. He will joy over you with joy. God rejoices in his people. What a glorious promise is held out for us. Learn to adore his person. And whenever the word is being preached, whatever the particular topic is, the underlying call is to see Christ lifted up and love him. Learn more about him and embrace him as our God. The third thing, anticipating the goal. I mentioned Romans 8 earlier, and it's such a glorious uh, chapter, so many things we could draw on there. But listen to this from Romans 8, verse 18. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Something similar at the end of 2 Corinthians 4 that we read earlier. We are to live, according to Philippians 3, as citizens of heaven, because our Savior is there. Walking with God in a world like ours is not going to be an easy path. And if we're thinking of it in those kinds of terms, that's again where disappointment will often set in. But the point is that the end goal goes beyond just this life. It goes into the very presence of God. Do you remember Psalm 16, the great resurrection psalm? Maybe you read it last week. In your presence is fullness of joy forevermore quoted in Acts 2 in connection with the resurrection, which is uh, why I said that. We are walking with the Lord, but we are walking to Zion. We are walking with the Lord to a goal. And the goal is his very presence. The goal is eternity. The goal is, is being perfect, being without sin, being made like Christ because we see him as he is. Why do we want to walk with God? what we were made for. He's the one who's worthy of this kind of attention and the goal that's had out, had, uh, held out for us is astounding. But if I can borrow the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs one more time, there are also present benefits to walking with God. He called them the excellencies of walking with God. Now, because he was a Puritan, he gave 12. Uh, examples of that. Uh, 
just so you get an idea of the Puritan preaching, uh, in comparison with them, uh, I'm the very model of brevity. Uh, so that gives you some kind of idea, perhaps. Uh, but nonetheless, four, I'm, I'm not going to go through all 12, but I'm, I'm going to borrow four of the excellencies or benefits that, that he gave that particularly struck me. He said this, it makes the ways of God easy. Now, that's an interesting expression because most of us do not think of the ways of God as easy. Uh, I mean, some days are better than others, but walking with God is not always easy. And Burroughs is actually admitting that. But what he's saying is that as we learn to walk with God, we trust him more. As we get to know God, as we think through his attributes, we begin to realize that Moses was right. These commands are for our good. God intends good for us. All things work together for good to those who love God. And as we walk with God, as we learn more about God, we begin to figure that out. It takes us a while, but we begin to figure that out. And as we figure that out, even when God leads us in ways that we don't understand and don't particularly appreciate, we begin to discover that they are good for us at the very least. And that's what Burroughs means when he says, it'll make the ways of God easy. We might say more manageable when we come into trial and affliction. A second benefit, he says, it's full of honor. We walk with the king. I mean, right now, right, there's, there's all this talk about the coronation of King Charles III, and there's this discussion of who is going to go and who isn't going to go. Now, I don't know about you, but I wasn't even given the choice. <laughs> I'm assuming my invitation got lost in the mail. Uh, but what an honor it would be to be invited, right? I always wondered what gold silverware, can you have gold silverware? That sounds like a contradiction. Uh, gold cutlery, I guess that's a better word. I always wondered what that would be like. You know, is that heavy stuff when you see it in the pictures at Buckingham Palace? But I'm not invited. But I am invited to walk with the King of Kings. It's an honor to walk with God. God, creator of the ends of the earth, who never sleeps or slumbers, God, in all of his perfections, and all of his beauty, calls me to walk with him. The third excellency that I will share with you, at least, it shows the comfort that is found in the covenant. We have peace with God, having been justified by faith. Great comfort again in the midst of our trial and so on. And then in one of example that he gave, he quoted Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He said, we are kept. When we walk with God, he's with us to the end. How does Psalm 23 end? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does it mean to walk with God? means everything. Fulfilling the purposes of God in salvation, pleasing God, trusting God, growing to be more like Christ. Why do I want it? Because he's so very worthy, so very beautiful, precisely the Savior 
I need. He satisfies with fullness of joy in his presence. And then he invites me to come and walk with him to that goal. What more motivation do we need than seeing him in all of his glory? May God help us long to walk with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every blessing you've given to us. Thank you, Lord God, for the power of the word, the power of the gospel. And we praise you, Lord God, that Jesus Christ is exalted in everything and that through Jesus Christ we are brought into the very presence of God. O oh Lord, our God, may we know these benefits now, but may we long for the ultimate benefits forever. Please make us what you would have us to be. And may we say it is glory just to walk with him. May it be so, for Jesus' name's sake.